Hello and welcome to today's episode on Healing and Growing Hand in Hand podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Tickle, and my guest today is Joanna Biashed. Did I pronounce that right? Yes. Close, yes. close. Okay, great. Joanna, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Um, let me give a little bit of her credentials. Her, her bio will be listed below as well, but she is a BABCP accredited senior CBT and EMDR therapist. And we'll get into the EMDR actually, cause I'm doing that myself, but she has four degrees in psychology and psychotherapy, 15 years in clinical work experience. And then there's two courses that you created on Udemy, which I'm listening. I'm actually following one of them, which is reinvent yourself by boosting your self-esteem. And we're going to get into that more today. That's I'm excited about that. The other course is how to attract a suitable partner by changing your mindset. And so today the areas of discussion are going to be the self-esteem. We'll probably touch on trauma, obviously, um, and even on anxiety. And then the thing that I'm kind of excited about is a therapy that you do, which is EMDR. And I'm actually doing that myself and it's been profoundly helpful in my healing journey. So thank you, Joanna, for, for, like I said, um, participating in the, in the podcast, you want to tell us a little bit more. Yes, so I uh, I am CBT and EMDR therapist. I've been doing that for donkey's years now. And um, I've got experience in different areas. So I started in forensic psychology, actually, assessing mm-hmm. psychopathy. Uh, I was working in London in one of the um, units, uh, forensic units there. Uh, then I moved to working in national healthcare system in UK. Mm. And as a CBT therapist, and I worked then, I, I moved to private practice and worked with perinatal women, with trauma. I work with a lot of insurance companies. So I work with people who are involved in car accidents or mm. they had accidents at work. Mm. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's definitely some trauma there, you know, and it's just like with childhood trauma, it's not just necessarily childhood abuse but it could be someone who had, was really sick, right? They spent a lot of time in the hospital or, you know, mm. close to death and, and that's traumatic as well. Yeah, that's true. And as well, watching someone else uh, that we care about when they, when we worry about their well being, that mm-hmm. can traumatize us as well. That's true. That's true. I mean, I, I took care of my mom when she was dying of cancer and I was young, I was 16 years old mm. um, and same with taking care of my father and, as much as I um, am glad I was there for them, yeah, it it can be very very traumatic. Yeah, I worked with a lot of people actually who were going through the grieving process uh, after they've lost parents to cancer or some other illnesses, and they've been traumatized by the whole experience. And I think that sometimes it is so difficult when you have to be in the hospitals, and there are certain mm-hmm. things that then play on your mind from that time. So it it is quite common that people do get traumatized by that as well. I, and there's such an underlying fear that whole time that you're taking care of the person. Right. I mean, that's, I just remember that with me, just having a fear of making sure I do everything right, making sure, you know, I take care of them and they're not in pain. So it, it was, yeah, it still kind of weighs on me. You know, you do the best you can. Yeah. So let's talk about, <clears throat> excuse me, self-esteem. So you have a course on it, which I started, like I said, and I'm going to finish it. It's really good. I was really impressed. So what made you go into that area? I think that my personal experiences, and I think that it wasn't like intentional at the beginning. It started with uh, 
me growing up in communistic Poland, uh, mm. which was quite tough. Uh, then having twin sister who was considered as brilliant, she could read fluently when she was three years old. As twins, you are always compared. Mm-hmm. And I was dyslexic. Uh, so I couldn't read for a long time. Uh, I was good at covering that up because I was uh, learning uh, all the reading by heart, all the stories that we supposed to read. So no one actually figured out that I couldn't read, but I knew that. And I kind of felt as... I wasn't as good as my sister. And then I think that in my 20s, I think that that was uh, my late teens and early 20s when I've noticed how low self-esteem affected me. And it was in different areas. It was in terms of relationships, in terms of jobs, in terms of studying and so on. And um, luckily, one of my degrees uh, I was doing on CBT for anxiety and depression But one of the things that we touched on was a little bit of um, work on self-esteem. And there was one exercise there that uh, when we were studying, we were actually encouraged to use the exercises that we were learning about Mm -hmm. on ourselves. So we can see what our clients would go Mm -hmm. through and uh, how it feels to be on the receiving end as well. Right. And I did this one exercise. And when my self-esteem changed, I've noticed how everything started being different better Mm -hmm. and um, and I think that because of my experience I felt that it would be nice to share that knowledge and you know it's not only one area of my life that actually improved it was so many different areas in terms of uh, my health Uh, I started exercising and eating healthier I uh, doubled my salary. I uh, had better relationships. Uh, my mood was better. So, you know, there is so many things that change. And I think that particularly being a woman, uh, self-esteem, yeah. I think that it is something that that we really suffer from lack right. of. Um, mm-hmm. We are bombarded uh, with um, uh, unrealistic images of uh, those uh, models, you know, with long yes. legs perfect skin yes yes Mm -hmm. and you know it doesn't happen like I've got stretch marks I've got you know yeah I've got war wounds yeah this is this is how the real woman is actually right um so I think that you know we are uh we're struggling on many fronts as well and I think that um there is a pressure on us uh to do or be good at everything be good mother be uh, 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 work as well and so on so and look perfect and, mm-hmm. and it's impossible so our self-esteem suffers and I've noticed that the huge problem then is how when women have low self-esteem how they treat other women. others others so yeah. true so true absolutely mm-hmm. and you know what the vision I get well the, that I get when you're talking about when your self-esteem changed uh, and, and how everything changed. It's like, there's a filter on, right. There's a self-esteem filter that we have on when we're struggling with it. And that's how we see everything is through that filter. And once you remove that filter and you start to have more confidence and your self-esteem does grow, you yeah. definitely see things different. You react different, you feel different, you know, and, and I know I've gone through, you know, some of that healing, there's obviously more I've got to do. I don't feel like you ever completely conquer it, but, um, but it has absolutely made a difference in my life. And that's why I'm excited about finishing your course. Cause I know it's only going to get better. 
Yeah, it's actually uh, initially, I think it's uh, how I structured the course. Uh, initially, there are some techniques that are more like a quick fix, something that you can do straight away, but it's not core work. Then there is the second right. part that is more core work, deep work. And, and that's what that actually brings a long lasting change. Right, right. When you get to the root of the issues, you know, um, you know, and with self-esteem, I mean, one of the things that pops up, and I think this is true with women, and you kind of touched on it a little bit as far as, you know, as comparing ourselves to others. And then there's jealousy, right? And yeah. don't you feel like when your self-esteem grows, the jealousy goes away? Like it's rare for me to be jealous of someone anymore. Can you touch on yeah. that? Yeah. And I think that I had that kind of realization when, um, I think that it was a few years ago when I was um, I went to a spa hotel with two of my friends and we were sitting uh, at the table at the dinner and there was this beautiful woman that walked in. She had, I think that she had Chanel back, she had nice mm. shoes and she looked, she looked stunning. And my friends, they started saying something derogatory about her and kind of saying, oh, that she's overdressed and look at her. And I was thinking in that moment, for me, the only thing that came across my mind was that what a beautiful woman. And I yes. admire her without any other thought following that. And I was thinking, okay, I, I know that I'm in a good place, but I mm -hmm. felt compassion for my friends that they felt threatened by the situation, right. that they had to say something to make themselves feel better. And it is sad. It is quite... Uh, it feels unpleasant. I was that person as well a few years ago. I would be too having the same comments, uh, mm -hmm. unpleasant comments, and feeling uh, threatened by another woman. Um, and I think that this is, you know, unpleasant for the people who are experiencing this and the person who is on the receiving end as well. Right, right. I, I, I totally can relate to that. That used to be me for sure. I used to be someone who would see a beautiful woman and, you know, just go down the list of things of how terrible she is. Right. And it, and it, in that moment, I have a feeling that makes me feel a little superior, but afterwards I would feel horrible. And now I can appreciate a beautiful woman, a beautiful man. I mean, I can appreciate beauty and it doesn't threaten me. And when it, when it does pop up and it does every once in a while, and, and it's like, I, I become aware and I, I've said this over and over and I'll continue to say it, but it, the healing journey and growing journey requires first and foremost, self-awareness. Right. And so having that being aware of, Ooh, Ooh, I got a little jealousy. What's that about, you know, and, and start looking inside as to why was I just triggered? Why, you know, yeah. and work through it. Yeah. And you're right here. Awareness is the first step always. So, you know, when we are aware of something, we can then change it. Um, so that's, that's, yeah, that's always the best step to become aware. You, you know, and your friends, I mean, do you ever say anything to them about that? Like if you would say something to them when you hear them saying this stuff, what, what do you, what would you say? It's difficult because I think that even if I pointed that out, they wouldn't hear the message. You know, mm -hmm. a person has to come to that realization themselves. The only thing that I can do, I can support them and, you know, tell them all the positive things about them and, you right. know try to help them uh, to grow in or to grow their own self-esteem. Um, I think that some it's tricky because, you know, in this situation, if you say something to them, they might feel worse than even yeah, worse than they already feeling. Right. I think being a therapist, it's tricky because you <laughs> don't sometimes uh, 
say uh, say things because you understand where it's coming from right. and you find more compassion and uh, it's difficult to challenge sometimes uh, people in situations like that. The only thing that you can do, you can be there and, and try to make uh, those people feel good about themselves. And, and I think that that's probably more productive, but it's tricky. I don't think that there are right and wrong answers. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Cause I said, and I, I brought it up cause I thought, gosh, how would you handle that? And I, and I agree. I mean, you don't want to call them out, right? That's not the, the, the thing you don't want to call them out on what they're saying, but yes, yeah, supporting them where they're at. But anyway, I, it's interesting. And so, so the thing that keeps coming up for me though, is, is, you know, and I'm such a feeler, I feel everything, right. Cause I'm an empath and the self-esteem, I can't, I can't say enough that once your self-esteem starts to grow and you can feel it, you can feel the confidence building in you. That's a motivating factor for me is to continue to look at that and, and, um, and grow in those areas and see what areas that I'm lacking in that I need to work on. Yeah. And I think that as well, you're going then as well to focus on the positive areas and on right. the things that you enjoy doing on uh, your true calling or on your passion without worrying what other things about you. And I think that uh, this is quite interesting one because recently I read the book, The Top Regrets of the Dying. Oh. Uh, Bronnie were, uh, wrote the book, uh, very good book. Uh, and I think that very good lessons <laughs> to learn I'm sure on their deathbeds and, and their regrets. And one of the biggest regrets was that, uh, people felt that, uh, I wish that I was true to myself and live life, um, on my own terms or, you know, how I wanted and not according to what others wanted of me. Um, and I think that when you've got healthy self-esteem, you are in the place where you actually can do this because you mm -hmm. don't worry what other people think of you. You just follow your path and you focus on your path and you listen to your needs and you listen to yourself more. It seems like it's also a solution for people pleasing, right? That's, that's, that's been my thing that I've been working through. And as my self-esteem has grown, I'm not as concerned about people pleasing at all. And it's not like I have a careless attitude. I don't care what you think, but it's, it's more like, this is really important to me. Period. Yeah, I think I think that it is about uh, setting healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, yeah, I like to see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So we can switch gears here if you're ready to. And um, mm. so we can talk about trauma, anxiety, or do you want to talk about EMDR? Well, EMDR, I will be probably slightly controversial with my views. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, oh, uh, so we can start on that. Yes. Yes. Mm. So in terms of EMDR, um, I... It was quite interesting because when I was working for National Healthcare System, I was uh, I had an opportunity to go to do EMDR training um, as part of my um, career development. And uh, initially, when I heard about it, you know, someone sitting there moving eyes from side to side and getting better, I was thinking, okay, that sounds a little bit uh, hocus pocus to me. <laughs> Well, magical. <laughs> yes. Uh, but then uh, at the training, one of the things that we did, we practice on each other, one therapist on another. Mm -hmm. And when I experienced that first time, I was thinking, oh my God, this is just amazing. Um, but then I started thinking and working with EMDR uh, quite a lot. And I realized that 
it's not EMDR that it's working. It's bilateral stimulation, which is only a small part of EMDR that is working. And bilateral stimulation is exactly when we stimulate different parts of the brain by moving our eyes from side to side or tapping uh, the opposite um, parts of the body or right. auditory as well, you know, having sound going from one ear to another. Mm -hmm. um, and I started thinking more and more about EMDR and the training. And uh, one, one thing that I particularly was puzzled uh, by was that Part of the EMDR requires that you ask your clients to identify some negative cognitions and positive cognitions and, and so on, and, and, and as well to identify some, tr some tricky parts from the trauma or mm -hmm. the most difficult parts uh, of the trauma. But that's actually quite difficult for someone who has been traumatized and they are uh, very anxious. They suffer from PTSD. Mm -hmm. Uh, for them to to kind of think about those things is not necessarily straightforward, and uh, and sometimes they don't know exactly what part of the trauma actually traumatized them. I have they're so traumatized because they're just it's so. But sometimes intense. it can be it can be as well different parts that they they wouldn't even think that they are, they are part of the trauma. So I had one client mm -hmm. who, for example, uh, one morning she was getting dressed and she was putting on a fresh underwear and she was thinking to herself her mom always told her put the fresh knickers uh, on if uh, something happens if you've got an accident and that day she had an accident she had a motorbike accident and she wouldn't consider that part as a trauma if she spoke to any other therapist but we kind of talk about what happened before the trauma as well and it turned out that actually because of that thought she somehow had this thought in her head that she caused it. She caused the accident by thinking this thought. And it, yeah. it was actually part of the trauma. Or I had a woman who uh, had car accident and she ended up in the hospital. Uh, she was unconscious. When she gained conscious, she was mortified about her cats that were at home and no one knew that they were uh, left unattended. Um, and she didn't know how long she was out of consciousness. And that was more scary than the whole accident. So, that you know, sometimes <laughs> if I've got a dog, that would be, <laughs> that would be me. <laughs> so yeah, I can understand that. But sometimes people, they, they don't even think about it. Uh, you have to kind of let them tell you the whole story. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that with EMDR, it's only focused on the parts of what what people assume were traumatic so the you know the actual accident and so on and so on um and i think that as well asking people to think about negative cognition and introducing those terms even you know it's unnecessary when someone is there and they you know barely can think uh, barely can concentrate mm -hmm. because they are traumatized they've got triggers they are on that kind of, in that kind of fight or flight response so my view on EMDR is slightly controversial in the sense that I do wonder whether, you know, therapies, they do like making things more sophisticated or mm -hmm. sound, you know, quite uh, important. And I do wonder whether EMDR is actually that kind of attempt, you know, whether the, those other phases, because there are eight phases uh, of EMDR, 
are added uh, to kind of justify the long training as well and to make it sound like a more scientific. But actually what I've noticed from my clinical uh, work is that only this part bilateral stimulation is the part that actually brings the relief and healing and mm -hmm. uh, reduces post-traumatic symptoms. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it almost seems like it, it's obviously not um, a therapy that can be done when someone is maybe at the very beginning of their healing, when everything is just alive in them, you know, that the, the anxiety is over the top. Cause I, when I think back um, and it wasn't that long ago, I, I realized up until maybe six, seven years ago, I was living completely on um, what is the word? That is fight so or flight. Yeah, yeah. Fight or flight. Yeah. I, I was constantly in that stress mode and just survival mode. That's the word I'm looking for. I was absolutely mm -hmm. in survival mode. I lived my entire life in that. So if I tried to do something like this 10 years ago, it probably would not have worked well for me because trying to dial down into the actual trauma itself and getting dialed in what I found in the last year I'm in a different place. And I think I was in the right place. I actually have the right therapist as well, but we, one of the things that we got that I got out of this really is I got a voice mm -hmm. and I also learned to protect me. I didn't have anybody protecting me. And, you know, I would say to my therapist as we're doing this, I'm like, is this normal to like come to these conclusions? And, you know, she said, there's no wrong answer, but for me, that built my self-esteem that built my confidence, you know, but I think I have definitely worked for years on this and I was in the right place. Cause I think you're right. If you're, if you're a, on constant alert and constantly have anxiety sitting there, remembering these memories and having those emotions and feelings come up can be absolutely overwhelming and can paralyze you. Yeah, and I think that you have to feel that you're ready. Um, but I think that as well, you know, even though some people, they are quite, you know, on, in that kind of fight or flight mode, uh, with the right therapy setting, you know, mm -hmm. when they feel contained and when therapy teach, teaches them as well, some kind of techniques where they can bring those uh, uh, responses down, anxiety down, right. then it is possible to go through that. But sometimes, you know, it's it's important that the therapist will make the process slightly slower and um, kind of adjusted to the clients. Right. But it's sometimes, yeah, with therapy, you have to be ready for it. And as you said, sometimes it takes some time to get to that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, for me, I had to work through a lot of stuff um, and be able to dial in on the last few roots that I had that were really affecting my life. And, you know, I mean, and I, and I still, I, I shared this story yesterday in a podcast that uh, I just got triggered a few weeks ago, but what was, what was huge for me is I became aware of it I, when I was in the middle of that, I could feel it. And I actually looked over at my husband and said, this is crazy. I'm clearly being triggered because the thoughts were just, they didn't make sense. It was mm -hmm. illogical. It, it, you know, and I just said, and, and being aware of that, I could get myself calmed down. I could stop that loop because you get into a loop, right? And I had to switch gears and go, okay, that makes no sense. And that is clearly not the right answer. What is the right answer? And I was in a safe place. I mean, there was no one else in my life I could have done that in front of, right? And just been real honest and said, I'm triggered. I'm being mm -hmm. silly, you know? 
But that kind of awareness is important because then you've got the choice what to do, you know, whether you're going to use those techniques to help you to calm down, to bring the emotions down or not. Um, right. That's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know when I look back and I, I look back when I was triggered and I was completely unaware of being triggered, it felt like there was no other way out. Yeah. It, it, it's all I can say is it's a loop in your head and you can't see another way out. And that's why the awareness is first and foremost, okay, I'm being triggered and taking a deep breath and slowing it down and whatever works for you mm-hmm. so that you can think clearly and you can see the other options that are in front of you. Cause there are options there. Yeah. And in difficult moments when they are, when we've got very high emotional response, the first thing for us to do is to bring those uh, emotions down because mm-hmm. we cannot think clearly uh, when I'm scared, uh, terrified of something like I cannot think cre- clearly. Uh, so one thing is finding those kind of ways that work exactly as you said for you, that will bring the, those emotions down mm-hmm. and then you can have a different response. Yeah. Cause I'll tell you that the emotions and feelings, the way that I describe it is it completely consumes me. I like it fills up every part of my body. It is, it's crazy. It, it, that's the only way. And I just, I just realized that just a few months ago when I was being triggered and I, and I felt it in me. And then there was another situation come up that I would normally be triggered in and I wasn't, and I became aware of that. And that was like, you know, the different feelings. It's just, that's what made me realize, wow. I, Cause I would go from zero to very angry. And it, all I can say is it would just consume me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it shows that, you know, something was perhaps processed there. Uh, if you don't, if the trigger doesn't evoke that emotion anymore. Mm. Right. And boy, is it freeing. It's so freeing. <laughs> so, so let's talk about anxiety. And um, what are your thoughts on it? Cause I mean, do you agree that a lot of this trauma you can actually store in your body and it can come out as anxiety? Uh, it can. And I think that uh, there is probably something that I'm not that familiar with, but uh, that kind of uh, generational trauma. And I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if there is something stored, you know, anxiety stored in the body uh, through a generation in some ways. Um, yeah. Uh, do you know something about that? Uh, or Well, we can switch because you just, t- you touched on something that I really find interesting and that's the generational Right. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. can you explain more about that? Because I find that fascinating. Well, I always that was another I'm thinking uh, example from coming from Poland. Of course, you know, there was Holocaust uh, and uh, Auschwitz and, you know, and I lived a couple of hours from Auschwitz. So um, I always think how that affected our genes and uh, um, and whether that was passed, you know, uh, and whether that continues through generations. Um, I yeah, I wonder as well about other situations, not necessarily maybe as as such uh, tragic, but tragic in other ways. Um, right. But I, I, I haven't researched the subject. I've, I've got so many things that I'm interested in. That I know that's one I'm interested in. I will put it on the list. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because I, I, I do believe that there can be generational. Yes, I do believe that. And I know in my own life, because in this last year, I've learned a lot about my mom. My mom was very mysterious. Um, I lost her when I was 16 to cancer. And so I didn't really get to know her. And she was one of them that abused me. And so I really didn't get to know her. And so 
my dad's side, I know my dad's side really well. And I, so I went on ancestry, you know, and, and looked it up and my dad's gosh, it goes all the way back to the 1700s, but my mom wasn't going anywhere. So I had to do research. It was the most bizarre thing. I don't know who her father was. And I don't know if she knew who her father was. So long story short over um, the last couple of years um, with a friend, we've done some research and found some really interesting stuff out about my mom and it explained a lot um, about she, I'm sure, was abused just by seeing the history. Like she didn't live with her mom and her mom had children that I don't even know if my mom even knew about them that she adopted out. So she just reading the material that we found on her, let me, I, I understood that she also was abused. It's very clear just by that. My father, I know my father was abused. He told me he left home at 14 years old because of his father. And so that carried down obviously to me. And I, and I shared this with my son recently. I even considered not having children because at 18, I was very aware that I was being abused and I didn't want to carry that on. I was so afraid of carrying that on. And I had my son, but I just remember the minute he was born, I made a commitment to him. I would never abuse him. And we have a really great relationship, but it's taken a lot of work. And I know that because I was in survival mode those years growing up, I made a lot of mistakes and there were things that I did that I'm not proud of. And I've, you know, I've talked to him That's about it. Us. We are human beings. We make yeah. So, yeah. And I had to, I had to learn to forgive myself for being that person. Right. Um, and so it's, it's come full circle and, you know, it, but there is something to be said about the generational abuse. Yeah. And I think that it is a lot of people actually, when they were abused as kids, they worry about whether they're going to repeat the pattern with their own kids, you know, exactly what are you, what are you talking about? And but luckily, you know, a lot of people, they stop, this is stop there. Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, they make that conscious decision and they don't pass that uh, generation uh, generational trauma uh, to their kids. Um, I think that there was in my life probably as well, some part of that, my grandmother committed suicide. Mm. And I think that that affected my mom, but my mom, she doesn't speak much about it, but there mm -hmm. is some kind of sense of, sadness and it comes out in other ways uh, right. as well that kind of unprocessed grief um which must have affected me and I think that I, I was an anxious child and I think mm -hmm. that the anxiety uh, the self-esteem you know was related as well to anxiety I was so anxious how other perceive me and whether I'm going to embarrass myself and mm -hmm. Uh, make a fool out of myself say something stupid yeah that, I was consumed by that when I was in my late teenage years or teenage years and early 20s people they often don't realize about the treatment uh, and that it can help them and a lot of people they feel that they are stuck with trauma and I think that I've seen that mm -hmm. uh, so many times when people experience something traumatic and even recently I had a client um she was involved she was actually hit by a car uh which traumatized her and mm -hmm. she said only recently after she went through treatment with me and uh she no longer experienced PTSD symptoms she realized how uh, how her life changed after the accident and how she was always nervous and she told me that whenever she was spending time with her kids she was doing that because she had to but not enjoying it and right. she said that uh, her daughter recently told her mom you smile more often and you know we've got so much fun mm -hmm. with you 
And she said that she started enjoying actually being a mom. Uh, but when she was stuck for, in the past two years, she thought that this is how her life is and, and yeah. this is how it's going to be. Only because she's going through the insurance claim, then she was offered therapy and she took it and she noticed that actually uh, things can be different. But I think that a lot of people, they don't even realize mm-hmm. that you can change things. Um, yes, there is a difference between single trauma and complex trauma and single trauma so what we understand by that is when someone experienced one event uh for example someone got raped once or someone was uh, involved in a car accident or someone um had accident at work uh or witnessed something uh traumatic mm-hmm. um that single trauma, but there is complex trauma. This is when um, people were um, exposed to trauma for a prolonged period of time and multiple yeah. events. Um, for example, childhood abuse when it was happening on a regular basis or um, when uh, beating um, uh, parents, beating their kids and, and right. physically abusing them um, and so on, or, or, or um, people who are living in the war zones. Um, and complex trauma and single trauma are slightly different. I think that it's easier to treat single trauma. And I think that EMDR or particularly bilateral stimulation, brilliant, you know, um, it works well. And I've got almost 100% recovery rates for that. Yeah. Um, complex trauma is a little bit more complex because with EMDR, yes, you can remove certain um flashbacks or memories unpleasant memories and it's sometimes with emdi it feels like erasing those memories mm-hmm. uh, and those kind of unpleasant emotions um or you can reduce how people respond to trigger but that's only part of the work another part of the work is emotional regulation how to self-soothe mm-hmm. um, sometimes people they've got um strong uh physical bodily sensations uh, and that's another part of work so I think that trauma is not the same and and uh, mm-hmm. uh, treatment for trauma is uh, a little bit different for single trauma and complex trauma but I think that there is a treatment there and and it's good when people realize that they don't have to suffer that they can do something about it um, and nowadays uh, in terms of treatment as well it's not only EMDR that is recommended um We've got uh, neurofeedback uh, that is uh, proven to be uh, effective. We've got psychedelics as well, all the mm-hmm. research on that. Um, and I was very skeptical at the beginning, but uh, I'm thinking, you know, if it helps mm-hmm. people, I'm definitely after um, pro. Um, so I think that there, there are various treatments available and it's about finding the one that works for you. Uh, but as well, if you try one treatment then and it doesn't work, then don't give up because right. you know there are so there is so many options mm-hmm. to choose from. Uh, so I think that this is what I've noticed that people with trauma sometimes they kind of give up and they live their lives and they think this is how it is, this is how my life is going to be, which might come as well from that kind of learned helplessness. When you mm-hmm. are, for example, young and you are abused, there is nothing you can do to take yourself out of that situation right. sometimes. And you learn that you can, you know, try to do things, but nothing works. So you mm-hmm. you learn helplessness in that situation and then you carry that throughout your life and you think, you know, I can't do anything about those things. 
That is so true. And that's exactly what I did. I took that into, you know, that learned helplessness. And also, you know, what came to mind when you were talking about the trauma, because something that I've realized over the last year is I've had the whole timeline put in front of me. I put the whole timeline of growing up and the abuse and realizing the depth of it. And it's not uh, sit and have a pity party. It's like, oh, Oh yeah, I guess that was pretty bad, you know? And as I'm talking to my therapist and I'm sharing stories with her and, and her reaction, sometimes I think the trauma happens to us and we don't realize it's trauma. Does that sound crazy? But I can just remember thinking, well, that was just my life. And now I look at it as an adult. Like I would, I think about, would I want my son living like, oh, no way. Like then I see the depth of it, but sometimes when you're in it, you just don't see it. Until someone's someone's saying to you, Hey, that was really traumatic. You know, you just seem like you're not really dealing with it or, you know, that it, it's going to come out somehow, right. It's going to come out somehow, some way. And so again, it goes back to that awareness, but sometimes stuff happens to us and our, and somehow our brain just rationalizes it. Yeah. Yeah. And we kind of learn almost that, you know, this is normal for us. This is what happened to us. We don't have anything to compare this to. And usually what happens when people actually have kids, when they see that six-year-old daughter and they think, you know, the stuff that happened to them when they were six-year-old, and then you've got this kind of realization, oh my God, you know, I was just a child. Right. And, you know, and, and I couldn't protect myself. And this is usually very... Um, very um, breakthrough moments for people mm-hmm. when they realize that, you know, that should have not, well, that shouldn't have happened. Right. Uh, right. And, and, and in my life, one of the things that really has helped me, I keep saying having a voice, but also having someone protect that little Lisa because no one did protect her. And now as an adult, I can come in and I can self-soothe her. I can calm her down. I can protect her. I've got her back. And, and, you know, people say that, um, but until you really get it, once you get it, it, it's, it's a game changer. It really changes the way you see everything and the way you think for sure. And that's exactly one of the big part of healing from complex trauma, exactly what you described, to be able to be in that position when you can look after this little child inside you and protect them and and, uh, be there for them and so on. Hmm. Because so much of it is just, it becomes such a part of you, you know, and you don't realize until, like you say, these moments when you have a six-year-old daughter and you all of a sudden realize what was happening to you at six years old. You just, it just becomes such a part of you. And so, um, yeah, the awareness again has been key for me and will continue to be. Yeah. And I think that it's always, life is a process. And I think that we always grow. We, uh, I don't think that, you know, we ever feel like, oh yeah, finally I arrived. I've arrived. (laughs) Life is perfect. Things are uh, challenging throughout the uh, throughout the life, and and you know things change and uh, circumstances change, uh, and it's like ongoing process. It's just mm-hmm. about uh, I think that with uh, healthy self esteem, the one thing that we've got, we know how to look after ourselves a little bit better, or we make better choices for ourselves. Or I've noticed that. Um, when my self-esteem uh, improved and rather than when I was stressed, uh, having a glass of wine and takeaway, now I do meditation and a warm bath. Uh, so <laughs> it's very different how you look after yourself. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
So I think that that's the, that's, you know, it's still related to self-esteem. Uh, but I think that when we, when we experience something traumatic, it's going to have an effect on our self-esteem. I think that all those things, are, they are connected, self-esteem, trauma, anxiety, uh, depression. Uh, yeah, it all can be very connected. And one of the theme, the themes that I see going through all that is shame. Shame, guilt. Mm-hmm. And shame will shut you down for sure. It does, you know, it does me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's quite common. Shame and guilt, very huge uh, uh, um, emotions, very common emotions uh, when people experience something traumatic. You know, I've got I've got shame down pretty good, but the guilt, mm. the guilt is still it's just so deeply there. Um, when I was de- it, and it's funny because there's stuff that happened over the last week where I, I saw the guilt come up. And it, mm. it was one of those emotions that really, it completely consumed me. I mm. really had to, like, I realized, oh, that's one of those emotions that's completely filling me. And I don't like the way I feel. I gotta, I gotta take a step back for a minute. Mm. Why am I feeling guilty? And I had to really get down to those emotions and it was, and it was hard and it was painful. But then once I got to the root of it and I understood why I'm feeling guilty, that certain, it didn't completely go away, but it certainly didn't have its grip on me anymore. Like it did. Hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. And yeah, it shows again, you know, that things are changing and those are that kind of feedback that we get when we know that uh, we are on the right path and mm-hmm. they progressing those moments when you, we can take a step back as something that we couldn't do before. Uh, they can still be painful, but we approach them differently. Right. And, and we're empowered. We don't have that helplessness anymore. That, that for me has been huge too, is I'm not sitting here. I'm not just a product of my circumstance. I'm not stuck in this place and I just have to live like this. And I have to have these, you know, thoughts going through my head. I can actually do something to change this and it's empowering. And that will build your self-esteem that will build your confidence. Right. And then the next time makes you more aware. It's just, it kind of builds up. It is something you always have to manage and work on, but at least you have tools now you know, you're not helpless anymore. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And that it's going to make you feel empowered when you realize that you've got choices. Um, It's difficult to get to that point sometimes in life when you realize that you've got choices. And I think that even without trauma, sometimes it's quite difficult when you find yourself, you know, in a job that sucks and, you know, in a bad relationship. And how can Mm -hmm. you admit that to yourself then that, actually you created the life that you are living right now, but actually on the other side, you know, the positive is that you can change that and you've got that kind of power, but it is difficult point. And it is difficult to say that to yourself and to admit that to yourself. And I'm thinking when you experience something traumatic, it's even more complex. Right. Right. Because I think that, you know, that's the thing about the platform for my podcast is that it's, it is a platform for people to have a voice and talk about their healing, but, but there's also people that didn't necessarily have traumatic stuff, but they're dealing with some of the same stuff that we're dealing with, right. As childhood abuse survivors, um, you know, self-esteem is one that I, everybody, man or woman deals with. Right. And yeah. so it's wonderful to have a platform where people can have tools and be empowered and know you know, I I can manage this. I can take care of this. I I have the power to do this. 
Yeah, part of being a human being is that you're going to suffer at some point in yeah. your life. Fortunately, you have a tough time. You know, yeah, that's the that's the reality. You know, it's just about learning how to how to manage it better. Every single time yeah. we learn a little bit different. And you know, there are different things that challenge us. Like I recently discovered that I'm perimenopausal. And that mm. threw me off in terms of experiencing anxiety with something that I haven't experienced for years. Yes. Yeah. And then you kind of learn how to cope with that and how to deal with that and what works in this particular time in your life. But I think that, you know, as human beings, we, we are going to have all those things thrown at us right. at, at different times. And, and it's just, you know, trying to make the best out of it. Right. And, and use the tools that, you know, will help you. It, it doesn't take away that situation, but it, but for me, those situations used to be absolutely overwhelming. Um, I wasn't someone that would necessarily freeze, but I wasn't pleasant to be around. I'll, I'll put it that way. And, and that was just the way I coped with it and not having to feel like that, not having to go to that extreme. Cause the thing about that, when you go to that extreme, it's hard to bring yourself down and it takes time. And it's, you know, as we're getting older, I don't bounce back as easy. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be, uh, you know, just a mess for a day because this thing overwhelmed me so much and I didn't manage it well. And so learning to manage this stuff shortens that pain. <laughs> and I've heard someone said, um, I think when I was doing my existential counseling psychology, someone said that uh, happiness is knowing that you can deal with any circumstances or, you know, whatever life throws at you. And I think that this is so true. I uh, love that. Yeah, I think that because it's so realistic and it is when you've got that kind of sense that, okay, you know, I will be okay. I'm, I can cope with that. Life will always, you know, bring something unexpected or difficult. Right. Uh, it's life. But if you have a sense that you can cope with that, you can deal with that. You've got skills uh, to help yourself in those moments to get through, then you're going to be all right. You're going right. to feel good. You're going to right. feel happy. Right. Right. I love that. That is great. That is so true. Cause as, as you were saying that, I was like, that's exactly what I was thinking. You just put the words to it. It was great. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much, Joanna. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing your great wisdom. I would encourage everybody to look at her courses. Um, I'm going to finish the one on self-esteem. I'm excited about that. I could always work on that some more. And um, thank you again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. My pleasure.